0: One two three. <laughs> it's working.
1: Yeah. Oh, so.
0: Okay, so what have we covered so far? All right. This um, <laughs> is a recap, and we don't have to include this in the, like, published recording, I guess. Okay. Um. We did EMDR.
2: EMDR. We did
0: social media? Social media. Business. Business. Artistry, Artistry, craftsmanship, liberation. Mm-hmm. Then we did. Brothers K. Brothers K. And
2: that led us to eternal question. Eternal question. Yeah. Then you talked about Shakespeare and Dostoevsky, as, starting with the divine
1: mm-hmm.
2: reality as as the axiom in their writings, and how that's reflected with a lot of great authors. And then from there, we talked about. Uh, the parallel question, can good ever become evil and evil become good? Mm-hmm. And then from there, we went to, I guess, like the super meta question of why is there suffering? Yeah.
0: <laughs> okay. Sheesh. Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, what kind of cheese do you have? Oh, this? I forgot. Okay. Uh, I'll try some. This looks
2: spicy, though. No, this one's maple bourbon.
0: Oh, mm-hmm. okay. People putting alcohol in cheese. That's really interesting to me. Do you like it? Just who came up with that idea? You know
2: like we should just put like
0: someone in Wisconsin like you yeah. know it was someone in Wisconsin, you know they're
2: uh... like, you know what? I like drinking it, but if we can eat it too,
0: yeah, yep, <laughs> even better. Cheese heads. Honey. <laughs> yeah. Um. Should go back to the eternal question, maybe again. Yeah. That was a good.
2: So, like, what is? actually this might be a good starting point <clears throat> have you heard of good. yeah wasn't well, really good but...
1: right. mm. um
2: so Dar- jordan peterson he did this speech um at the library in ephesus mm-hmm. apparently it was larger than alexandria's library at its height wow and so he said like you know being like the written word hub of the West and then also being where Mary and Saint John lived it was also very interesting because mm-hmm. John talks about the word as being Christ and then Mary was the tabernacle of the word.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And so he thought it was very appropriate to talk about like what is logos. So the title of his mm. talk was The Logos at Ephesus. Such a good that. Yeah, it's with you. Really it's probably the best talk I've ever heard. Huh. Um, but he, he starts off with, um, pain and he says that whenever he's talking to someone and they don't believe in God, he's like, well, do you have pain? And everyone will say, yes, everyone experiences pain, even to a great extent. And he was like, now, if pain is that real, is the thing that can take away pain more real? So he says, if there is, and they can take it all away. Does that make him the most real thing? Okay, so
0: <clears throat> okay, but that
2: is that interesting.
0: Sort of makes me. What if someone doesn't experience the pain going away, though? You know, like yeah. Okay, so Jordan Peterson walks him through this thing, and he has him do the "what if," though, right? That is that. That's his question. What if your pain could be taken away?
2: Yeah. And I think he points to, like, things like, you know, if you had sickness and someone's able to cure you, yeah, that cure was more powerful than the sickness. Mm-hmm. So he starts giving you, like, analogies from it, but then he takes you to the ultimate question of, like, if there's someone that can take away the harm of suffering, is he's more powerful?
0: hmm hmm Yeah. Cool. this It reminds me a little bit of what we were... yeah this like parallel line question in the brothers k with the that we were talking about a little bit earlier um where yvonne his whole question is um not just like whether god exists but whether it makes sense that he has a relationship with god Mm -hmm. um right he said like i believe in god but i don't accept his world or I don't accept his reality. Mm. Um, and I think that's a very, like, striking and powerful experience. Like, for anyone who's actually had that moment of reaching their depth and knowing that they they can never actually give up their faith that there is a God, you know, like, their conscience will not allow them to do that. But they're still struggling so much in their personal relationship with God that they're considering the question whether it makes sense that, mm. like, that relationship makes any sense you know Mm -hmm. um and that's where we find Yvonne in the Grand Inquisitor in the Brothers Karamazov right
1: Mm
0: -hmm. um and the reason he's having this question is because of all these news headlines that he reads about like children suffering horrible things um like just horrendous child abuse and right if God not not just if god exists but if god is involved with his world this suffering doesn't make sense because parallel lines don't intersect and that like that's a big image that he uses right of um the parallel lines being like goodness and evil and definite definitionally like those are opposite things um there there will never be a moment where you can like define goodness and define evil in such a way that they can become the same thing. Mm-hmm. And so really what Yvonne is saying is like, even if these parallel lines ever met in front of me, I still couldn't believe it because that's against the definition of parallel lines, mm-hmm. um, which is very true and very accurate. That is and great. like, yeah. I, I think Yvonne is a very confusing character for a lot of readers of Brothers Karamazov um, but really deep down he's like also the one who makes the most sense you know Mm -hmm. Um, and so then there's this question of like well okay as Christians and also through the eyes of Alyosha who's the main character in the Brothers Karamazov um, we know and believe that Ivan isn't correct like he's, he's not he's not right about god and the world um and about being a christian um and but but he also brings up good points and so like what do you do with this paradox and you you have to admit in some way that truth is paradoxical in order to refute yvonne um Mm. which brings me back to that what you brought up about like jordan peterson um this whole bit of if there was a goodness that could not negate evil but actually like essentially change evil like not just take away suffering but actually make it redemptive not just take away evil but actually make it good um then the paradox makes sense but all of that is a a conditional all of that is a if there was something that could do that right um So maybe Christianity is all just based on an if, which is really frustrating.
2: (laughs) I mean it seems like it's a very um it's an if that has a lot of proof that it is there though. Like especially if you look at um like the lives of the saints, especially martyrs, I think. Like, martyrs don't make sense unless the if doesn't, isn't there. Mm -hmm. If what they're hoping on is something that they believe isn't probably going to be there, Mm -hmm. then it wouldn't make sense for them to stay to it, even if it meant they lose everything in this life. Mm -hmm. So I wonder if it has something to do with, like, we're talking about axioms Mm -hmm. and, like, faith and belief. Mm -hmm. So I wonder if there's, like, that's part of the reason of faith is like, if we believe what God says is true, then we will find the truth. But that's like the starting point. Mm-hmm. And it gives us a lot of help along the way to get to the belief part.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: But it it really, I think our, our spiritual journey really begins when we start to believe him.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's, but really it takes like the same amount of faith to believe that axiom of god that it takes to like believe the first principles of euclid mm-hmm. you know freshman mm-hmm. year when like euclid yeah. defines what a what a point is and what a straight line is um and maybe like this is the crazy bit like maybe what they're doing with us freshman year when we do euclid is actually preparing us to like tackle the eternal existential questions of whether we can believe what god says is true you know because really it's an exercise in faith like are you going to believe euclid that this is what a point means mm -hmm. are you going to believe him that this is what a straight line means and if you take all of those to be true all of his propositions about geometry are going to follow but are you going to believe that Mm -hmm. you know and like maybe yeah maybe the um scale or like the risk of what the propositions are going to prove is greater when we start asking the God question and the faith question and the Christianity question, but ultimately it, it's the same sort of like, um, movement, you know,
1: mm-hmm.
0: it's the same sort of action that we're doing if we're going to believe this statement that God's word is trustworthy, you know?
2: Yeah. That's an interesting thought. Yeah. Because really, it might just be, a simple, like, like the belief might just be the same amount of belief. hmm But the consequences are so much more. hmm So it feels like the the faith that we have is so much greater.
1: hmm
2: But yeah, like, it's, it's interesting, because I'm trying to think of, like, when Jesus says, believe in me. And you will have life. He says that a lot of times without performing a miracle. And so it's almost like you have to believe and follow him. Mm-hmm. And then, like, the apostles did, they left everything to follow him. And, and he didn't even say anything. He didn't even show them anything. He was like, follow me. And mm-hmm. they're like,
1: okay. Mm-hmm.
2: And, I mean, at the end of their life, you might look like, well, they all got killed for it. Yeah. That wasn't a great trade off. (laughs) But except John, he he lived for a while. But
0: But in that first moment, like, what was Jesus doing? Maybe in those moments when he just said, you know, just follow me, he's just laying down the first principle. Mm -hmm. And these guys were like, Okay, well, like that's not like a crazy statement. Like I can follow you for, you know, I'll give you twenty four hours. Yeah. And they took that little little step of like, oh, I'll follow you, you know and they took the first principle
1: mm-hmm.
0: and the rest of it followed and then qed <laughs> get to the end of this prop and they end up being martyrs you know like shoot you know i died but like that's they didn't realize that you know that's interesting like taking taking the first principle how far it leads you cuz you think that it's just a oh that's just a statement like that doesn't have a lot yeah. of power to it necessarily um but then if you make a statement, you have to defend it. And so what's going to follow and what's going to like be demanding of you mm-hmm. once you accept that statement. I think that happens across the board with every anything, you know. Really. Because we're living and breathing and yeah, judging creatures, like it's going to affect how we live.
1: Yeah.
0: You know.
2: Actually, that just Made me think of, like, the MDR stuff because
0: mm-hmm.
2: um, they're essentially saying with that <clears throat> therapy that you something happened to you and you took a meaning away from that. And that has programmed your way of thinking for all these years. hmm That meaning was your axiom. hmm It was like a set of words.
1: hmm
2: And that set of words then has been making all these propositions.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And you've been having to back them up because if yeah. they all wrong, you've been living a lie.
0: That's true. And no one no one wants to believe that they're just living a lie. Yeah. Yeah.
2: That's the hardest thing to come to.
0: Because
2: hmm. not only have you, you're like, well, that was, you feel like you're like, maybe just put a bully an idiot for thinking that way. hmm But then you're like, well, how do I know that my next action will be a good one? Mm-hmm. So then it puts you into that spiral of self-doubt where you're like, you can't believe yourself anymore.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You can't trust yourself. So then you're trying to look for someone else to guide you. Yeah. But when that comes into like the agency of what Christ does with us, he doesn't tell us everything. He, in fact, tells us very little.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: But what he does tell us is enough.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you know, the hard part about, like, the EMDR thing, and this is just, it's been interesting, like, tracking of what we've said so far, like, starting with Jordan Peterson, who's a, like, counselor, therapist. Like, he's a psychologist, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And through Christianity, getting to this question of, like, EMDR and and therapy and counseling and whatnot, and how we deal with our different memories and our different, like, self-beliefs that we've allowed to form our behaviors Um, and even like physically how we are, um, it's, I think the hard part about like, there's many hard things about going to therapy, (laughs) like there's many hard things about coming, just like coming up to your past, whether good or bad, but things that have shaped you a lot. It's just, it's hard to see that again. Um, but I think specifically the hard part about like, EMDR, although it's so helpful, um, and so beautiful, and like, I think I fully support so many people doing it. Um, but when you've actually like that veil is sort of taken away, and you realize all of the things that you've been telling yourself, and all of the thing and like where they came from. And then you realize you're made vulnerable and you you realize how many things about your life now were built on axioms that were never true in the first place. And so I I wonder if like if I was advising someone whether they should like go into EMD go get some EMDR or whatnot. Like regardless of what level they need it. You know, maybe it's just a small thing. Or maybe they're just curious. Or maybe it's a huge thing. Um Mm -hmm. I think I would probably say, like, it's not enough to just do the EMDR. You also have to supplement it with some sort of positive, like, restating of things that you should be believing about yourself. Yeah. You know, because otherwise, by the end, you get to this point of, like, well, what is my life? Like, who am I? Like, Mm -hmm. I found out that actually there were all these things that I never really should have made as important as like they became, you know? If that makes sense. Yeah. Um
2: that makes a lot of sense.
0: Which I guess like that principle is really true for things all across the board, you know. Um it's not enough to just put the cast on your broken limb, but you also have to go to physical therapy. You know, you also have to do the positive Mm -hmm. rebuilding. Um I don't think that's necessarily something that people are told all the time when they start really confronting their own personal question of what do I do personally about like my personal evil and my personal good, you know, like really seeing the parallel lines cross in their life. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. It's not enough to just explain like the bad things, but you also have to reassert the good, you know?
2: That's yeah, very I think, yeah, something very overlooked because I think it's easy sometimes to just focus on what the problem was, mm-hmm. but then not really understand how to get out of that mm-hmm. like it's it's kind of easy almost every day to feel like like during an examination of consciousness, I yeah, I definitely see where I messed up mm-hmm. but then like, how would you link? all the things that you could be doing to get better for those certain things Mm -hmm. takes a lot more time and thought and prayer than just seeing the problem at first hand so i definitely agree with you there that's like yeah you can't just tell yourself that this was bad you have to Mm -hmm. also tell yourself what what is good and how you still become better
0: Mm -hmm. yeah i was actually having a related topic i was having this conversation with some people recently because you know, we just started Lent like a week yeah. or two ago, you know, and so we we're talking about our Lenten resolutions and um, two of us were saying how what really works for us. I mean, there's certain things that like we'll cut out and we'd notice a difference and we feel our own like personal poverty and we realize how much we need God. But really the thing that works better for us specifically in bringing us closer to God and actually like inspiring us to be better people all around is inserting good things like for me i i don't and i should be doing this better like i'm not saying like do lent the way i do it i i think i don't do lent well enough um same but i don't actually cut a ton of things out Mm -hmm. because when i have the mentality of what can i cut out it ends up turning into either first how can I punish myself or it turns into into a scrupulosity game of what about when I fail and I cave in you know um and also it's things that like I have built up some level of dependency to and so my ability to be charitable when I cut them out is always it's always harder (laughs) you know and I figure, like, doing Lent, it's probably not great to, like, not be able to be charitable because, you know, True. I cut out something. Um, and maybe that speaks to, like, I have an unhealthy dependence on things. But, but mm. instead, what actually helps me better spiritually um, to grow closer to God and also to be inspired to, like, live my life in a more Catholic way is when I add things. And like, for me, I, I don't know why I don't just always do this, but I love reading scripture. Mm-hmm. And most of the time I don't, like most of the time I just sort of maybe run into a scripture quote during my day, but I don't like make time for it. Um, And so I really love when these like liturgical seasons come about and I sort of have an excuse to do something really simple. It takes five minutes and read the mass readings every single day. Mm. And then it's like, I look forward to that time every single day of Lent. You know, I look forward to reading the gospel for the day. Um, yeah, which, I, again, like, speaks to this whole, you, you you can't just cut out the evil, like, cut out the evil. Um, but maybe in a moment where, you know, you've come to Lent and there's not something, like, clearly evil that you need to take cut out of your life, Maybe your resolution instead should be, what can I add? Yeah. You know?
2: I I, I think you're onto something there because past couple of years, I've been trying to do more, like, just add stuff in.
1: Because
2: mm. I've taken stuff out and I made it through. And I was like, well, I don't really feel like I'm a better person.
1: Yeah. Like, yep.
2: It was more of just, like, a challenge of self-discipline,
1: mm-hmm.
2: which is not a bad thing, but... <clears throat> didn't seem like I was getting to know someone better like Mm -hmm. what you were saying like I would come closer to God and like I think when you try to cut away stuff sometimes you feel like everything has to get cut away yeah because you're not really looking at all the good Mm -hmm. things that happen when there's certain like actions or times like like for me it's like I used to do, like, no screens during Lent.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And I was like, well, what about all those times and memories I could have had with someone watching a movie or something?
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: Or, I don't know, writing someone on text or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, well, now I saw the little bad I did with that, like, technology or whatever it was, and then I erased all the good I could have done with it too.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Instead of, like, looking how do I transform evil part into something good
0: mm-hmm. yeah when the Yvonne question yeah <laughs> yeah
2: because I think yeah. it's really easy to just be like oh like I suck and I don't want to okay. suck anymore so you're just like it's all gone I'm just gonna cut it out yep yeah
0: Everything. yeah
2: but then you're like well I have nothing left now yeah that's like that's actually interesting um who is it that said this I think it was Saint Teresa the little flower she was trying to give God something good every day, and he was like, you can give me all those things, but what I really want are your sins and your troubles and your sorrows. Mm. Or it might have been um, St. Faustina, one of the two.
0: And, Both if that makes sense, yeah.
2: If yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had the same thought. Um, but they're like, well, I don't want to give you that stuff. And he's like, well, yeah. that's all that I can actually make good for you.
0: Yeah. That's that's where I actually do my work. Like, yeah, give me, give me the stuff that I can actually work on.
2: That's my MO.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's why I hung on the cross. That's like my biggest act, my most recognizable thing. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> on, I'm Let more. me do my
0: job. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. I was gonna pray about that. <laughs> yeah. Um now that it also reminds me of uh earlier when we were talking, you mentioned about perseverance and how you think that that's um really the thing that god is asking the most of us is perseverance um did you do lost my train of thought for a second oh but just like the the point about the moderation of when you cut something like your screen right screens are a big temptation and so in your sort of lenten zeal maybe you cut out all screens and then you miss the opportunities to use this actually neutral thing mm-hmm. for any of the good that you could have used it for, right. you know? Um, uh, and then you're actually not given the chance or you're not even giving yourself the opportunity to practice virtue, which is a mean, right? Like we, we hear that from Aristotle, like virtue is in the middle. Mm-hmm. Virtue is neither of the extremes. Um, virtue is right governed by like prudence and moderation, um, mm-hmm. and it means that you still have a choice. And I think sometimes in our zeal, um, and also sometimes I think we're, I was ta- I mentioned this earlier when we brought up the idea of perseverance. Um, yeah, persevering through the hard things. If you get burned enough times you just want to shut down so that you don't even have the option to have a choice. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's the other thing that like, that's the other real danger of being so zealous in your disciplines. Right. Um, and I, and I don't even mean just like spiritual disciplines. I think probably by analogy, like we could probably stretch this to all sorts of disciplines, like what you do at the gym or what you do with your food or what you do with, um, like when you wake up and stuff like there's a real there's a real discipline to not just doing the hardest thing um yeah but doing the thing that you know maybe you feel comfortable maybe you you're actually allowing yourself to like indulge in like like have a little bit of chocolate or something like yeah. that um But just because it's not the hardest thing doesn't mean that you're not having discipline about it, because maybe what's allowing you to continue to have that choice to love, which is really what discipline is for, is that you're giving yourself a little bit of leeway, you know? That was a lot of, a lot of out there, but. No, I
2: think, I, I think you're really onto it. Um. It reminds me of a question that Doctor Virginia asked me in my oration.
1: because
2: mm. uh, she asked, "Who do you think was a better race, the Athenians or the Spartans?" Mm. I was like the Athenians. Mm. She's like, "Well, why? Like the Spartans were like the pinnacle of discipline," and I said, "It's because they missed the point of it. Yeah, because they just they they took their discipline as the end goal
1: mm-hmm.
2: instead of using it as a path towards something good.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: The Athenians." <clears throat> They kind of went overboard with some things but like they they still had the discipline they needed to make things happen well
1: mm-hmm.
2: they're still a force to contend with but that didn't consume them
1: mm-hmm.
2: so i think you're onto something with that like maybe the true discipline is saying no i can it's almost like self-forgiveness almost
0: yeah yvonne let's <laughs> <Yes, we're>... go <laughs> back to it <us>. continue, continue. <laughs> like, um...
2: I, you said something with like cutting it all away and you don't have to be in a position to make choices again. Yeah. Um, mm. That's like probably the most dangerous thought because then it's like you're trying to take yourself out of the equation as an agent
1: mm-hmm.
2: when that's when your place is to be an agent. Yeah. And like even if you make bad decisions, it doesn't disqualify you enough to stop making decisions in the future. Mm hmm. Because you're like, you've been burned so many times, you're like, I'm done with it all. Yeah. And you're like, well, then you just took out all the responsibility you could have had to help something good happen. Yeah. And you could have used all your failures to actually now learn how to do the best thing now. Yeah. But when you just throw it all away, you're like, it's the talents.
1: Yeah.
2: It's like the one guy was like, you know what? none of what you did made any sense i had no confidence of what you're doing is going to work so i just mm-hmm. buried it mm-hmm. didn't want to be a part of it mm-hmm. and so like i think the reason that it's so dangerous these are all just first time thoughts so go, go, go for it. um is like we're meant to have the capacity to take on almost any level of responsibility in this world. And in doing so, it means we have to make decisions around those responsibilities. If we feel like or think that we're not capable anymore, then we're essentially saying that, God, you've made something that's not capable of doing what you said it would. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: So you're telling God you're a liar. Yep. And directly.
0: Yes. Yeah. Yeah, this is making me think of, like despair yeah like all of this we don't realize actually how drastic it is but when you push yourself to the point of quote-unquote discipline to do the hardest thing to the point that you don't even have the choice anymore
1: mm-hmm.
0: what you're actually doing is you're despairing yeah. because what you're doing is what makes us human like one of the things that defines us as human is our free will Mm-hmm. And our freedom of conscience, mm-hmm. right? And our ability to choose and to have convictions. Um, and so if you're giving that up, you're giving up what makes you the most human. Yeah. And, but the funny thing is, you're doing that by your human power. Like, you're doing that with your will, and you're doing that with your rationality, and you're telling God, with your human powers that he created something bad that he should not have given you freedom of choice because that freedom of choice allows you to get hurt you know not just if you make the wrong choice but if you make the right choice and somehow the world or someone else out out there in the world um doesn't align with that choice and you end up getting hurt because you loved, you know, mm. or you, you end up getting hurt because you cared. Um, oh Yeah. Which is just wild. Like if you, if you shut down your ability to make choices, you're shutting down your ability to love, which is another thing that makes us human. Like in some ways, it's funny because we think of discipline as such a like virtuous thing, you know, and like, those are the strong people. And those are the people who like stuck with it. Um, but maybe really this perseverance thing that God is asking of us is really the perseverance of a tender heart. Like actually Yeah. Actually, I'm really glad that I brought this book. And I this was like totally random. I wasn't planning on saying this. But um I brought this book called The Solace of Open Spaces by Gretel Ehrlich. And um I'll give an intro to it in a minute because I think everyone should read it. But connected to this, she has a line in in here um, that to be tough is to be tender, and to be fragile is to be truly fierce. Oh. Um, and so and she's talking specifically about um, Wyoming cowboys, hmm. and so this is like the context of this phrase in. Um, the section in this book. she's talking about I think this is the section she brings up this like idea that like toughness is tenderness um multiple times. but one of these sections that she brings it up, she's talking about how the cowboys job is actually so um like maternal and caring, you know, because they're every day is different and sometimes they have to be out with their cattle for like, fourteen hours, you know, and it's all based on what's happening. And it's all based on how much they care for their livestock as like creatures. And like this is real concern and love and care. And so it's a very tenderhearted thing actually to develop calluses. Um it's because you love that you end up spending so much time out on the range getting weathered and dirty and the wind blowing on you and the rain you know, and you, like, you get so tired, and you get old faster, but it's because you love so much, but then on the flip side, even while you're out there getting roughed up, um, you have to continue to be tender, like, you can't just abuse these cattle, you know, or abuse your horse, you have to, like, still have the virtue and the the true discipline of, like, communicating well with your horse um, and understanding it and understanding yourself and like not just losing your temper at your horse or at your fellow man you know yeah yeah. and so I've thought about I've just meditated on that phrase a lot um, and how yeah this like perseverance that Christ is asking of us in this whole tension of like good and evil Is really the perseverance of like defending your ability to be tenderhearted, even in the midst of the hardest things that you could possibly endure, you know? And that's the real virtue. So if you can still do that, you can still love and you can still choose and you can still like be human, you know?
2: That's a really interesting thought. Yeah. I never thought of like discipline in that way before that makes so much sense. Like it is really the tender heart that's making you go through those hard situations. And if you continue having the tender heart that will make you the person that's resilient to all these stressors.
0: Yeah. Yep. Yeah.
2: But you still come out at the end with the best thing. Mm-hmm. wow
0: yeah resiliency I like that I like putting that word in with discipline
2: yeah well yeah because it's almost like um, it's, I guess it's like a, a ship when it's going through the sea mm-hmm. it has the destination in mind it knows how to get there it has all the capacities to get there but then like the storms at sea are insane and mm-hmm. it's just like that boat will be tossed and turned every which way and then if you make it through, you make it like to the land, you know, and you've come because like water is kind of like considered the most chaotic thing
1: because
2: mm. it never has its, it's it always has a form, but it's never the same thing. Mm-hmm. It's changing. Mm. It's kind of a cool idea.
0: That is a cool idea. <laughs> <laughs>
2: well, like, yeah, it's like you're literally just going to like put some boards together, put a big blanket on it yeah, and put a little rudder on it and be like, I'm going to make it. And mm-hmm. then, but every wave is like a question, like, are you going to continue forward mm. when the water you were just in was okay? Mm. The chaos you were in was fine, but the chaos you're in now isn't.
1: Mm.
2: So it's almost like that, Um, I don't know, I hope I'm making sense, but like, it's mm-hmm. when you're in those situations where it's so uncertain, you're not sure if you're going to make it mm-hmm. that you want to go back to an un- a certainty that was not as good, mm-hmm. but it was certain, so it was familiar, so you know how to handle it. Mm-hmm. Like, um,
0: yeah,
2: I've heard of a lot of stories of like people going back to abusive relationships. Yep, because that was what they were familiar with, and they that knew I how. I was to... just
0: thinking about it. <laughs> really? Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, so like even like what they may seem like a more chaotic circumstance, just like peaceful and calm and everything. Yep. To them is worse. Yep. But if you actually go through that. You'll actually come to the place you want to be.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. For those people, it's worse because it's unfamiliar. Yeah. Um. In some way, and I see that's that's an interesting like nuance to put on, uh this idea of perseverance, that like the difference between certainty and familiarity. Mm. Like the person who has been used to traumatic and abusive situations their entire life is going to feel more peace in those situations in the future because they feel familiar not because they feel certain Mm. you know um Mm -hmm. and part of the i think virtue of i mean i'm sort of hashing this out as i speak but um Part of the virtue of the perseverance is continuing, first of all, when it's unfamiliar. And that's like, that's the personal struggle. That's a personal challenge. Because what feels unfamiliar to me is going to be different than what feels unfamiliar to you. So I have to persevere on that individual level. But then on another level, I have to persevere even when it's just objectively uncertain. Yeah. You know. Um, hmm. Yeah, like we were talking about earlier. Like, there's so many levels <laughs> to every part of like what is Christ, uh, what Christ is asking of us and what we experience in the world, hmm. and even what it means to be virtuous. Like, there's there there's virtue in understanding what it means to be virtuous. Yeah. You know? Quite this a lot. This is getting really confusing and meta. Did but it also it makes a lot of sense in yeah. a weird way.
2: <laughs> well, actually, that reminds me of something else. You talked about Ed Peterson in that Logos of Ephesus. Yeah. He was saying that um, it essentially used to be that philosophers were natural philosophers that took them to metaphysics. Mm. So it was like, they was all connected, you know, they mm. went from earth to heaven. But then nowadays they flipped it, cut out heaven to set earth. Mm. But he said that if you look at the principles of physics and just matter and things like that, he said things that are keeping those true is way more true than those things. Mm -hmm. So he said that thinking about metaphysical questions like pain and suffering and all those things, those things are way more real to us than whether or not this scientific equation makes sense. Mm-hmm. because those are a higher order of reality which is mm-hmm. we don't see that re- reality unless we really think about it but it's it's the foundation for all this other stuff yeah um, so this is the reason when you said like it's getting super meta it's mm-hmm. like well it's actually is making sense because we are getting closer yeah. to what actually is makes the most sense
0: yeah yeah yeah, I'm taking metaphysics right now, I and I mean, I've, like, dabbled in it before, um, but the interesting thing with metaphysics is, yeah, the more up there and the more complex you get, the more you realize that the world's just simple. The world's just really, really, really freaking simple, um, and actually, the world is so simple that you end up sort of sounding really dumb in metaphysics yeah. class because <laughs> you end up, like, having to say these sentences that like to any person who doesn't understand what you mean philosophically by these things it just sounds gibberish yeah you know like talking about being and doing as if they have all these levels of significance which they do Mm -hmm. you know and you know that if you're sitting in metaphysics class and you've read your aquinas and he's talking about all the different types of being and then he says but ultimately the the most underlying sense of being is being itself, which is God, you know, (laughs) like that sounds horrible. (laughs) Um, But in reality, he's right. Like, yeah. The the funny part about truth, I was saying this earlier, like I've been realizing more and more that truth is closer to a paradox than we want it to be. Mm -hmm. It's truth. When you take your, like, logic 101 class, right? Mm -hmm. Truth seems pretty straightforward. Um, It's like you have your one statement and you have your second statement and then you draw a conclusion out of those two statements. But once you start talking about truth as it exists in the real world and as it exists in our experiences of it, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: you reach these points, like Yvonne, of this paradox of the world has has to admit of some moment where the parallel lines of goodness and evil meet. There has to be some paradox like that. Otherwise, the world doesn't make sense, right? But then on the flip side, it's like, well, of course. Of course that makes sense. Of course it makes sense that goodness is going to win over evil because goodness is the positive thing and evil is only defined in, like, it's lack of goodness, you know? So really it's like a circular thing of, yeah, in one sense, like truth is a complete paradox Mm -hmm. and truth is making all these statements that don't seem like they should fit together. And then on the other hand, it's like, well, of course they fit together, you know? Um, yeah. And it, it makes, I think that's another reason, like when you were saying about, um, not just, like, our feelings, but things like love and pain and, like, all of this sort of stuff. Um, On the one hand, I can hear, like, a bunch of people sort of bringing up the objection, like, well, that's all subjective experience. Like, it doesn't actually matter because it's all just individual, personal, like, you know, your own EMDR experience of what lies you told yourself, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, But on the flip side the reason why it matters so much is because actually those are like the concepts that God wrote into the, the world and that make the world go round. Yeah. Um. But because there's this dual character to these concepts of love and pain, like it's really hard to have conversations about these things Um, because it's really hard to know when it matters and when it doesn't. And when you're talking, like, productively about something and when you're not. Does that sort of make sense? The Like, the difference between the individual experiences of these things and then, um, which maybe doesn't actually affect our experience of reality that much because, well, oh, Tom's just experiencing what Tom is experiencing, mm-hmm. you know? But then on the other hand, like, no, it does matter mm-hmm. because pain matters and the question of pain matters you know
2: yeah it's like I think when that question arises when people are saying like well it may work for you but it won't work for me in that very sentence they're acknowledging that there's something that they you share with each other
1: mm-hmm.
2: that you're, you're looking for the solution as well
1: mm-hmm.
2: but you're not hopeful that it will come from something else someone did
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So it's almost like <clears throat> their thought is just putting themselves on their own path towards what they think is good mm-hmm. and hoping that if they don't interact with any other else's experience of reality, that they'll find their own reality.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it's like, saying. no, but that, that's a that's a rejection of this like other side of the circle, right? Yeah if if someone can honestly truthfully say what works for me maybe won't work for you Mm -hmm. they're rejecting that there's objective truth in the world yes and like they're rejecting that there's concepts like justice that just matter
2: they do for
0: everyone and they sort of just exist out there um And they exist regardless of our personal, like, experiences of them, Mm -hmm. you know?
2: Yeah, like, I think that's the reason why we try to read other people's stories is because they live an experience that we won't live, Mm -hmm. but the reality they encountered is part of our own, Mm -hmm. and then their story can help us understand ours. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that's why, like, everyone loves movies so much is because it's a playwright and understanding a part of reality mm-hmm. and we think well if we can watch someone else do it then we can think about how would we encounter that situation as well
0: mm-hmm.
2: and so I think that's like like complex plots grab our attention so thickly it's just like yeah we're trying to answer all the questions of like all these factors going into play in motion
0: mm-hmm.
2: what is going to happen with all those factors
1: mm-hmm.
2: and then even though it was made up, the people making it up had something like that or mm-hmm. heard about it. Mm-hmm. So there's some reality and truth behind it that they can then share with us that then we hope we can learn from and then share with other people.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And like, you've seen the first Rocky?
1: You seen...
0: Parts of it. I don't, okay. I haven't seen all the way through, but go ahead. I, I know it from my dad. So like, go ahead and spoil it. Okay. <laughs> He's talked about it enough, enough. Um, There's
2: a part in there when he's talking to, at that point, Adrian, his girlfriend. And she was like, Well, what if you don't win? And he was like,
0: Yeah, yep.
2: Um, He's like, It doesn't matter if I win. It's just if I don't give up.
1: Mm.
2: And that, just that one sentence can make people cry. Mm-hmm. Because what he's speaking about right there is an emotion and a feeling that so many people experience. Mm. They don't feel like they're going to win against the boss. Mm hmm seems too big or whatever it is seems too big and they feel like just throwing the towel in but then when you hear someone say that even if they get humbled and they can't stop the punches coming they won't stop trying there's something about that idea that just makes everyone start crying because it's like well maybe maybe i can survive you know it's like Mm -hmm. not only survive but actually win hmm Yeah. Like I think that's why like individual relativistic thing has come about so much, is like people want there to be a solution, but for some reason they don't want it to come from someone else because then it's a form of humility that someone else has done it too. So I think it has something to do with like that suffering, but it's like Everyone else has a different experience of suffering. But you feel like your own is the one that's the hardest to overcome. Mm. And so if you say like what you what work for you won't help me as you're validating to yourself that what your cross is or whatever it is, is worse than other people and it can't go away from you. I think it might be something that they think about.
0: Yeah, I wonder if there's also maybe a little bit more of like a um, I think it's true. I think the modern age and a lot of us, like myself included, lack the humility Shame. to want to know that someone else is carrying the same cross that we want to think of ourselves as a hero. Mm-hmm. I also wonder if there's a little bit more of a like charitable read that or yeah, more maybe more of a positive read that we can give the situation as well of, um to some extent, I think the rise of like the relativistic thinking comes from people also just wanting to experience truth on their own Mm. right like they don't just want to be told what is true they want to actually live it and know that it's true because they sort of went through the trial and error um and they which can get dangerous like if you push that to the radical extreme of just never accepting anything that's told you by an authority right and i think like when it becomes radical like that it is like an act of pride and it's a lack of humility Mm -hmm. right it's a lack lack of humility and also a lack of trust um but in a sort of contorted noble way like it can be a good desire of well if this thing is true i want to know that i can experience it too not just that my teacher experienced it one day back in, you know eighty three or something like that, but like, mm. I've had the same thing. because um, in every in every sort of ideology, there's an element of what is true. And I think that's what's true in this like modernistic, relativistic, like you do you and I do me um type thinking is people just wanting to have their own experiences of of reality. And, you like, you can't really blame them for that, necessarily. No. You know?
2: I really like that way of thinking about it. Because I think, too, like, at least I've noticed this in our generation, that I think we've been told so many things through our lives.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Like, from... Grandparents to parents to like friends and family. And I think mostly it comes to like just constant propaganda media. Mm -hmm. But I think we're starting to wake up and see that what we've been being sold on for life maybe isn't the best way to live life. And so I think that might also come into what you're saying that we all want to experience life differently or at least Mm -hmm. have our own encounter with it.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: is because we want to actually see, like, just without any filter or, like, something that came through from someone else, what if we just were out there and we didn't, this was our first time. It was like, like what if we were babies again, almost? Like, this is our just first time, there's nothing new. Everything is new, and there's nothing that we've been told about Israel. Mm-hmm. What would that feel like? Mm-hmm. And it, I think that's actually a good thing because
1: mm-hmm. yeah.
2: now, and this might be an interesting thought. I'd like to hear your thoughts on this.
0: Okay. Do you
2: think <laughs> our generation may be the next generation of wanderers?
0: Oh. Whoa. Whoa. we have to define some terms. <laughs> <Yeah.
2: laughs> um, I like thinking maybe this like the, the maybe we're like the Socrates children
0: oh yeah yeah yeah.
2: like we're just wanting to try it out firsthand now again like
0: yeah it was like it was suggested to us by someone at some point that maybe we could think on our own yeah you know Mm -hmm. and maybe we could like maybe we don't have to just swallow what i mean for socrates at his point it was like what the city was telling its youths you know Like, what what the myths and the religion and the elders and just the city in general and the society in general, what um, it was always telling its youth. And Socrates came along and was like, hey, guess what? You have the capacity to think and to come to conclusions on your own. Mm -hmm. And, like, ultimately the the city killed him for that because nobody wants, like, someone coming in and subverting their authority over the youth who have... A lot of energy and a lot of strength you know like they don't want a rebellion and so they killed Socrates um but yeah are we like the young people who are listening to Socrates and sort of being introduced introduced to this idea that we have a head on our shoulders like yeah it's see that's interesting because on the one hand I think that's definitely the modern sort of thrust of um you're like the hippies you know like we want to do our own thing and just leave us alone like I think in some ways that was a start of it um and now our generation is getting to the point of we've like tried out this doing doing it ourselves enough to realize that the conclusions that we're coming to are the same conclusions that our ancestors came to you know and i think this is where we see like the rise of like traditionalism and i don't even mean that in the religious sense but even like secular people coming to like traditional forms of medicine or traditional like family dynamics or traditional like i don't know yeah, just ways of living, all of that sort of stuff. You see a rise in that across all sorts of group groups of people, religious or not, you know, yeah. especially in like our rough age group, you know, like young millennials to whatever my generation is. I don't even I don't even know Gen anymore. Gen-, Gen Z. Gen Z. Oh my gosh. No. I'm out of the loop. I don't even know what my generation is called anymore. Um <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i I think I don't know I think we're still wonderers, but we're also sort of realizing that all this wondering is just bringing us back to like all of these secrets you know this the midwife' secret about this, that, and the other thing, and wow, everybody used to know that, yeah, you know um so in some ways, like the freedom of. The Socrates esque movement is sort of just allowing for the rebuilding of the city. You know, if you were to like continue the analogy a little bit, I think. Um, yeah. yeah. I
2: think it's almost like that, that was a really good train of thought. Like, <laughs> what to say that? Like, um. really good. Um, yeah, like, i am definitely been seeing it, too. Like, this was a wild, crazy, awesome stat. This is the lowest year of uh, suicides in our generation. Really? It's been going down quite a bit.
0: Thank God. 2023 or 2024?
2: Uh, it's still going down. Okay. So, like, our generation. So
0: 2023 was, like. Yeah. Super low. Wow.
2: So, like, wow. It was like, it spiked in 2020, but since then it's been dropping dramatically.
0: Good, good.
2: Um, it was shared by Isabel Brown. Mm. uh do you follow her
1: yep yeah yeah
2: she um she was saying that like our generation is finding meaning again and wow really well, that's
0: interesting. interesting
2: yeah And mm. in the time when you think we would be finding the least meaning because like yeah the world is pretty messed up right now like, yeah everything yeah. seems like it's going crazy but like our generation is like no like we got we can get through this and like mm. it isn't awful like it's it's not hopeless maybe is the right way to say it yeah and
0: mm, interesting
2: like so something else to add to like the idea of wonders is um there's a guy tony robbins i don't know if you've heard of him
0: no oh.
2: he's kind of like the number one voice in like personal development okay um he's in his 60s now but he had a wild story, wildlife. And he was saying that there's patterns in civilization that are repeated, and it's the grandchildren of the grandparents that rebuild civilization. So it's the, always yeah. the, the second generation that kind of lives in the, the peaceful times, and then they lose it, yeah. and their grandchildren have to rebuild it all. Mm-hmm. So our generation is the grandchildren now. Mm. And he was saying that in World War Two. Um, All the people that grew up in the 20s, the heyday, the world collapses. By the time they're twenty five, they have to go to another war. Mm-hmm. So they went through the Great Depression, World War One, and it's these kids. And so now they're into the war again themselves.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: They go over there. They come back. He said everyone hated the veterans. Mm-hmm. They all thought that those really? kids were good, nothing, like couldn't keep a job. They didn't know anything about life, all these things. Not realizing that all of those poor boys and families and children and everything that went through that experience were trying to process how what in the world just happened, yeah, and how do we now rebuild? And then now we look at that as the greatest generation.
1: He mm-hmm.
2: said they're saying the exact same things about this generation,
1: yeah,
2: so we're good for nothing. We can't keep a job. We don't know what we're doing. all this stuff. He's mm-hmm. like that's the exact same. Stuff Mm. he thinks he thinks we're the next generation, the next greatest generation. Mm -hmm. I was like, that is really hopeful because, you know, it's it's hard when everyone tells like, if you're you're young and dumb you don't know what you're doing, it's like, well, I know that. Yeah, you didn't have to tell me that. I'm trying. Right.
0: (laughs) I tell myself that already every single day. <laughs> it was kind of dark.
2: <laughs> well, no, it's like we're trying to do the positive affirmations. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. No, to that point, there's a really beautiful song called Struggler by Brother Isaiah. He's a CFR, Franciscan Friar of the Renewal. And um I just thought of it because the song progresses from basically a prayer of like, God why why am i struggling? I'm a struggler. Like why don't you just take this cross away from me? I'm tired of being a struggler. And the meaning of the chorus changes as the song goes on and as like the verses come along to become this meaning of like God basically saying um it is the like one of the best things that you can be to be a struggler because it means that you have a hunger for the truth and you you're struggling for something Mm -hmm. not just struggling like like the beginning of the song is like struggling against and why why can't i just like stop struggling against this thing and then god says no you're struggling because you love this good thing that you're struggling for Mm. um and i wonder if that's related to this idea of yeah like the generations that good for nothing you know they're just they're struggling you know yeah we're struggling and that's why we're going to be the greatest you know <laughs> like because yeah. like we didn't just give up yeah. you know and I, I mean obviously we're like still young and probably really optimistic and like we don't know what our generation is going to accomplish but like that's the hope that's and like especially with that statistic of like the suicides going down like the hope is that um the generation this generation has enough perseverance to transition the meaning of struggle you know yeah um like we were talking about much earlier and this is going to be a little bit off topic but like with businessmen right oh, yeah um that it is so hard so so hard and like you don't see any re- any reward to build a business and then one day you're going to wake up and someone's going to walk by you and be like you are doing incredible things and you're gonna be like wow yeah I, I did do something incredible but every single day when you were doing that thing it felt horrible you know um and that's like that's the dual meaning of struggle yeah yeah you never see the reward on the day-to-day level yeah until you get like a substantial amount of time has passed and your effort never stopped even though you never you didn't see the reward you know
1: Mm
2: -hmm. yeah i wonder why it's that way like why was it designed i'm assuming it's a design that's like the invisible suffering every day will then be rewarded one day publicly I wonder if it's because it's testing. It's like trial by fire, you know. Like the mm. uh, purifies the flame, purifies the metal. It's almost like our desires, like the metal, that you know becomes. It's almost like we're the formless metal that our decisions form us and sculpt us, and that the fires that does that. Mm. But it's like maybe I should just say what I think it is, but like. I think the reason the fire is there is because if we're able to go through that suffering and we find the reward at the end, we really know how v- valuable it is now because of what we had to go through before. Hmm. A, but that's a little circular.
0: Yeah. But, I mean, that sort of fits with this whole, like paradoxical reality of like carrying the cross and not seeing the light at the end of the tunnel Mm -hmm. and then like i mean i guess i'm saying this as if like we were thinking from christ's perspective you know as if like we could have been inside his head as he was carrying the cross and not i mean knowing that there's light at the end of the tunnel but like also a lot of christ's suffering was like psychological suffering like john um John uh or Cardinal Newman he has a book i'm forgetting what the title of the book is but basically saying that like people can go through physical suffering like Christ did but what really made Christ's suffering the greatest was like the psychological suffering that he also must have gone through um and so putting ourselves like in Christ's perspective for a minute like carrying the cross and not seeing the light at the end of the tunnel knowing that it's there but not seeing it and then hanging on the cross and dying and then realizing it's exactly the ugliness of the cross that is the victory. Like like you were saying earlier, you know, like mm-hmm. this thing that appears in every way to be the absence of victory is precisely the victorious thing, Yeah, you know? Um yeah brings me back to yvonne's little yeah. um little cross lines there again, you know <laughs> just call call this episode uh, crossing I don't know something about parallel lines intersecting <laughs> <laughs>
2: that that's a good yeah we should title it that, <laughs> yeah we well. As that brings a great question because you did um, relativity last semester, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, not the greatest at it, but yeah, 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 yeah I did.
2: Um, I, it all made more sense after school. That, I believe that's it. That's encouraging. because, um, and when they got rid of the fifth axiom and said, "Well, what if parallel lines do meet, but they meet at the point of infinity?" Mm-hmm. opened up a whole new world of mathematics. Yeah. And we get relativity and all that stuff from it. Yeah. So it's like the question is like, well, do do they meet? But we never see them meet. Yeah. But if if we never, even if we never see them meet, and they do, it makes so much more sense of how are things happening now.
0: Yeah.
2: So I like that paradox.
0: Yeah, you know it's like, and again, I think I have said that I said this earlier, but the mathematics courses that we take at wyoming catholic college are like i'm increasingly realizing their analogies for the spiritual life or they can be Mm -hmm. you know like this Mm -hmm. whole yeah this whole bit of relativity of like what if parallel lines do meet at a point at infinity maybe we never see that point at infinity but that doesn't mean it's not there in fact like let's assume that point at infinity is there Parallel lines do meet. We're never gonna see it, but they do. And that opens up, like you said, a whole new world of mathematics that maybe we won't actually be able to do because we can't see that point. But it opens up this whole like other side of the intersection, you know? Yeah. Maybe that's what heaven is. Maybe that's what the beatific vision is. You know, it's like this light light prism thing, you know, where you're like passing through both sides.
2: That's a cool. Maybe I just cracked the code.
0: Yeah! <laughs>
1: <laughs> God, is that right? Maybe a heretic. on this. No. But
2: that's, I mean, that's really fascinating to think about because, well, you remember the. Did you talk about the Feynman theory of like. If we could get out of the speed of light, then we could go back in time.
0: Yeah, a little bit.
2: Yep. And that's um have you seen tenet?
0: Mm, yes. Yeah.
2: Um that was that principle like yeah. if you get out of the speed of light, you can reverse polarity. Right. Um so yeah, it's interesting that like they do meet an infinity and the definition of infinity that we have The best one is God. Yeah. And so maybe he intentionally made a world that was finite, but had all the right directions towards infinity.
0: Teleology. Yeah. Teleology,
2: yeah. Yeah. And maybe that's like when we dig deep enough, we find the paradoxes and we're like, well, that must be answered in the next world. Yeah. So maybe the point of infinity is heaven. It's just like. Yeah. Like like the earth
0: and the new earth, the new heavens, the new, and the yeah. new earth. Woo! Yo, <laughs> this is actually getting wild. <laughs> like
2: like this world is the good and evil. And we're like, okay, it doesn't happen.
1: Yeah.
2: God says it does. And if you follow me, you get to see it. And then the next world is the cross. Yeah. The cross.
0: Wow. <laughs> <laughs> my are just absolutely mind blown right at this moment wow wow
2: that's actually really profound like
0: i think we might have to end on that point jeez I don't, know. I don't know i don't have anything to follow that up with like <laughs> no uh, uh, oh okay yeah you know i can't follow this up with yeah, yeah. it reminds me of um i don't know when jordan peterson said this um I brought this up a little while ago. Mm-hmm. The whole bit about, so he has this um, talk that he gave where he was talking about artists. and he said that um, artists are on the frontiers of our human understanding, and they like see the chaos um, out there. And all the things that we have not yet understood, um, and because artists depend so deeply on their intuition, they, like, this sounds very like unsatisfying to really like rational, logical minded people, but artists basically like have an intuition about something, and they reach out and they draw a picture of it, mm. you know, because they they feel like there's probably some sort of truth there, or there's some sort of value about it, you know, like, whether it's truth or beauty or goodness, like, uh, the artist doesn't have to say. They just feel that there's value out there. And so they depict it in some way. And in, like, drawing that thing out of just, like, the wild chaos and into sort of the domain of, like, what humans can understand, um, Mm -hmm. artists are, like, unveiling more more of reality mm. you know and then it like goes to the poet and the poet like tries to understand more of what this is and they write a poem about it and then the philosopher thinks about it you know and then we start talking about it and pretty soon like this crazy idea of relativity and parallel lines intersecting comes about you know probably because some crazy artist was like honestly probably crazy like maybe they did some you know yeah. something and they hallucinated or something like like I don't know um but some artists like went a little bit was like took a leap of faith you know did something and out of just this image like out of this previously unknown thing comes Mm. all these layers of things for us to think about and like nuances for us to put on truth that we wouldn't have recognized if we hadn't had the creativity and the courage to like reach out at that unknown thing you know Mm. i think that's really the place of the artist is to have like that courage and that creativity to ask the question that doesn't seem like it's worth asking, you know?
2: That's, that's really fascinating because while you're talking about that um, reminded me of like, um, like the haters for like business people mm. and like the haters even for like World famous artists and stuff like a lot of their fame didn't come till after they died,
1: Mm-hmm.
2: and people were like, "Oh, you, you don't know what you're doing. You're not good at this. Whatever." I think they because they didn't see what was what the artist saw, they were saying, "Hey, there's nothing there.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You're wasting your time. Like,
1: stop mm-hmm. it." Mm-hmm.
2: But the artist was like, "No, I see something, and I'm going yeah. for it."
1: Yeah,
2: it's almost like the, it's like the hidden. Gem or the hidden pearl, you know, like they're like, oh,
0: I yeah. get it. Yeah,
2: I know what it is. I'm gonna try for it, even if anyone else thinks I'm stupid.
0: Yep, yeah, yeah. It's that poem, the kneeling at a well curb one. Oh, yeah, you know, the one that ends at like there's something down in the well. You know, this man's he's like leaning over the edge of a well looking down, and he sees something down there. And he's like, what was it? Like truth, a pebble of quartz. And then it just ends you know and you're like for once then something yeah for once then something right like yeah i don't know what that was at the bottom of the well maybe it was just a pebble of quartz maybe maybe in the pebble of quartz was the truth you know Mm -hmm. and that's like that's the whole artist's like seemingly gibberish question of what's the significance of a pebble of quartz like -hmm. the scientist would be like bro it's just it's quartz (laughs) come on man (laughs) but the but the artist is like no, but, like, there's something down in the wall. Yeah. You know?
2: I don't know if you should have this experience, but um, I have this thing where if I meet someone that's, like, really unusual, I can't stop staring at them because I'm trying to, like, figure out, like, no, who are sure. you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. If that makes sense. Like, yeah. that yeah. happened a lot in school, like, when someone was new on the block, the new mm-hmm. kid on the block, and, it's like, you know how, like, you kind of understand how people feel about certain things? Yeah. And then someone is completely different, and you're like, I don't get you, like.
0: Yeah.
2: And you're trying to f- figure them out. Yeah. But I think it's like, like you're saying, is like, the artist is, like, see something. Um, it's like, Robert Gleason wrote about this in his thesis.
0: Mm, I love at first sight. Yeah. That thing? Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: yeah. And he was like, uh it captures your attention and then when you go for it, the truth starts on like showing you different angles about the truth. You, yeah. Like the thing you saw.
1: Yeah.
2: I think that's kinda like the this is just like an experience of like you see someone new, you're like, I don't understand how you think and how you figure things out. Yeah. I was really curious because like you've come this far, you have all these things with you, so it's like which the way you think and act works,
1: mm-hmm.
2: but it's not something that I've experienced. So can you tell me about it?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And I I think it plays into like the idea of like art, what you're saying.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: It may be a great segue because I'd like to talk about like your idea with your thesis more. Sure. Like um, yeah. Like you were saying before, it was like. You come to know something and then you want to create something from that what you know. Mm-hmm. And then that else helps you know what you learned better.
0: hmm hmm Yeah. Yeah. So my oration ended up being um it was called the Classroom Is Not Enough. If you want to be a philosopher, go milk cows. Awesome. <laughs> um <laughs> and The, um, if you want to be a philosopher, go milk cows was a quote from Seneca, who's a political philosopher, um, taken like out of context, but just great quote and got the point across. But basically I was talking about, um, I brought up this image of a mountain to describe the intellectual life and the intellectual process. Um, and so we're very familiar with, um, the ascent of the mountain and the peak of the mountain. Mm -hmm. We talk about that a lot uh, as classical liberal arts students, right? So the ascent of the mountain starts with our sense experience of the world, right? It's like I'm feeling this cracker and I am like learning about it based on my sensation of it Mm -hmm. Um, or piece of bread or, you know, a rock, something like that. Um, And from that, we generally like... By the powers of our intellect and soul um abstract an idea of what like a piece of bread is like what the essence of the thing is um and that concept that theory of what the essence of the thing is is something that then at the peak of this intellectual mountain our um, speculative intellect that's where we like think about these things and we can think about them abstractly universally theoretically like they don't have to be tied down to physical material things necessarily um Mm -hmm. and so that's like that is the part of the intellect where we do things like philosophy and we um do math up there and you know all of these things that are generally um, done by the academic in the classroom Mm -hmm. and but then um, Jacques Maritain uh, suggests the idea that there's, that like, we've always known that there's another part of the soul called the practical intellect. And Maritain really stresses the practical intellect. Um, and so on this like diagram of the mountain, I put that as the descent of the mountain. Um, and really that there there should be like a a line across the bottom of the mountain as well that connects the practical intellect and the sense experience which i'll explain in a minute but Mm -hmm. um that the descent from the peak is also an essential part of the mountain like Mm. i mean it would be sort of funny if we climbed a mountain just to stay at the top of it like
2: that's a really good point
0: that would be you'd like ask if like someone's losing their mind if they did that you know it would also be sort of weird if like You got to the top of the mountain and you like chopped off the peak of it and like you put it in your pocket for like sentimental value and you're like, I went to the peak of the mountain and I like carry it around with me every single day. Like that would be it would be sort of a weird amount of emphasis to put on the peak of the mountain.
2: It would be. Because
0: you summit mountains like, yeah, to get to the peak, like that's the most recognizable thing. um, But it's the whole journey. And the thing that actually makes the mountain the mountain isn't so much the peak. Like the peak is the most recognizable thing, but what makes the mountain so tall, what makes the mountain so mighty, like what defines the mountain is its height. Like how much material is underneath the peak. Right. Um, And we have to come back down from the peak. We have to descend it. And so um, I, I, suggested strongly suggested the idea that man has two natural desires one to come to know which we all accept right um and we say very easily that like we are imitating god in our desire to come to know um but also secondly man has a natural and necessary desire to make and to create and that's the coming down the mountain that's the being a craftsman that's the um and it imitates a God in a, in a, another unique way, right? Where God, God is logos, you know, God is reason itself. And he had this order and he spoke in love and he sort of let this order loose and he created the world through it in a similar way. Man is a craftsman after the process of coming to like speculative knowledge. Um, He then takes that order that he's comprehended and enforces it on reality and he creates himself and he gives like a a carpenter, right? He takes this like raw wood and he enforces an order upon it such that it becomes a table or a chair. Mm -hmm. Um, And in that way, it's very clear that he's like imitating God's creative act in that way. Um, So... I guess, yeah, to draw it back to, like, this whole, like, chaos bit (laughs) with the Jordan Peterson quote about artists. Like, like, man really is an intellectual frontiersman, you know? And, like, he needs to be able to reach out into the unknown and, like, expand the horizons of um... what we know. And what we can do and what we're capable of, like we've always been doing that. We've always been developing technology. Um, and that's a very natural and necessary part of who man is. And he actually doesn't imitate God fully unless he's also doing that.
2: You know that's true. yeah, yeah. that's very interesting because we're only we're given six days to work and one day to
0: rest. hmm Yeah, that's interesting. I didn't I didn't like spend a lot of time meditating on that specific part of Genesis. Um but this whole question started with the whole like why in Genesis did God create a, a rational creature? And then instead of giving him a school and a classroom where he could have thought, yeah, and studied. Um instead God told man to go farm Yeah. You know, and to go like tame and tend this garden, this wilderness, this like chaos. And um yeah, what is I mean very simply, why did God tell man to go garden? But I think like in terms of this conversation and draw it in, it's like well it actually makes perfect sense because God is really telling man to go to go like have dominion and have understanding. And to go explore and find the truth out in the world
1: mm-hmm.
0: that, like, God wrote into it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And and that's intellectually why God demanded that man did, do that. Because he knew that man's intellectual life would actually be best if man did that rather than go to school.
2: Wow. That's quite a thought. Like, that is really fascinating. I never thought of that before. Like, why wasn't he put in school?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: But that's that is really fascinating. Like, it will be like through his own hands that he almost learns, rather than like what we usually thought of like the main way of learning is like speaking and seeing. -hmm. It's like it's really like you and you almost like touching reality, where you actually learn about it, and then in turn you can create a new reality Mm -hmm. based on what you do learn. Mm
0: -hmm. And to like bring back the sort of circle imagery that we had. Yeah. The reason why I think there should be a line along the bottom of the mountain connecting like the craftsmanship that comes from the descent back to the sense experience at the ascent of the mountain is because like we've been talking about like there's so many levels and nuances to our understanding of reality and so actually the more you craft the more you learn about the material that you're working with Mm -hmm. and the more you create things that will enable you to better understand reality and to better experience it and so there's this give and take of like um you start with sense knowledge, and you come to knowledge, and you come to like speculative knowledge about that, and then you use that. But then that technology that you developed and that experience that you had when you were making also circles back and like informs your sense experience again, which informs your universal understanding again. You know, and it's it's like this this continual circle until you really come to like appreciate all the levels of truth. You know.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah, that's such a cool idea. Cuz I've been I've been thinking a bit more about like work
1: mm-hmm.
2: recently and like <clears throat> like I've noticed that I've become much more um particular about what kind of work i do
1: Mm, mm -hmm. like
2: i don't like to waste my time yeah so like if i'm doing work that to me seems wasteful or if i'm wasting my time i get really mad at myself because i'm like this isn't really worthwhile Mm
1: -hmm.
2: and i think the reason is is because this is kind of tangential but i think it comes back in pretty well um so the Declaration of Independence used to be life, liberty, and private property. It wasn't pursuit of happiness,
1: mm-hmm. and
2: the reason that's the case is because property is the foundation for life and liberty. Mm. So your property is your past. What you did in the past is what you have now as property. Liberty is your present moment, and your life is your future. Mm. So, it, however you use your property with your liberty now, will determine your future. Mm. And so that's, like, the reason why America was called the land of opportunity is because we were built on the idea of private property. Yeah. And so your property, from my understanding of, like, like Faulkner and um, Brothers K, kind of like the whole deal,
1: mm-hmm.
2: I think property is the claim to use something for your own purpose, you see fit, hmm. and so um, I think it plays into a lot of like the stories and parables of the Bible. Um, but if you are a good steward of what you have and your possess your present what you have in possession, you can then create a future that's life giving. Mm-hmm. So, like the garden. Mm-hmm. So, like, Adam was given the garden as his plot of ground, and God was like, make it work. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and Adam's now has to realize, he has to understand reality, how do things work, like what you're saying. Then he has to get into the dirt, mm-hmm. make things grow, and then from them growing, he then learns again how it works and understands its universal knowledge.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And that cycle is what's giving him the capacity to then give his life to someone new which is his children Mm -hmm. so like um I think the reason why is speculative but I think the reason why God made us the way he did is because he wants us to experience what it would be like from his point of view to create the world so like he created the world for his children yeah and he's like, "Well, now you can go do it too and I'll I'll show you the way, but what I have is so good that I want you to be a part of it too."
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah, there's so many we'll have to do another episode on this. Um but there's so many levels to the garden. Like there's so many levels of it being appropriate that God created man in a garden.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Not just intellectually, but I think also like you're sort of verging on like political, like why is it politically or like civically appropriate mm-hmm. that man was in a garden, or like how does that line up with the imagery or the analogy? Mm-hmm. And there's so many different levels to this that like, which makes sense. But just final thought, and and then I should head for curfew. Um, but that's okay. That's okay. You're good. You're good. Um, I think. it's it's so interesting to me that like man is at the pinnacle of creation um and not just like oh he's a different type of creature but like he contains all of the faculties that every other creature has like mm. you can man has a vegetative soul he has like instincts he like is a rational animal like like he he has all of the basic capacities and and like functions of all of the creatures below him and then more and then he has rationality and I'm thinking of how Aquinas says at one point that like every creature reflects some perfection of God and it's almost like in man being able to like have the perfections of all of the different creatures and then more means that man can reflect God in so many ways like Mm maybe maybe the ideal man would reflect God in every way that a creature possibly can. You know?
1: Um
0: and like in a in a slightly different, slightly different but related way, like all of creation finds its salvation and its end through man in God, right? Like man is the one who brings all of creation to its final end. Um by ordering it all to God. And so there's this way in which like, yeah, in some ways like man is the, I'm thinking of the crossing lines again, you know, like, like man is the intersection between earth and heaven and yeah. um. is man is this paradox
1: mm-hmm.
0: that um somehow has to make sense, you know? Yeah.
2: That's a really cool idea. So I'll have to pick that up next time. But yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Kate.
0: Yeah. No, No problem.